from 60 to zero in two weeks flat. As the private equity industry scrambles to adapt to the coronavirus pandemic, the team has gathered for its first remote podcast. We'll be discussing the initial impact of the crisis on deal doing and existing portfolios, how GPs are adapting to the scale of disruption in Southern Europe, what fundraising processes are likely to be affected, and more on this week's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to this first episode in the new season of the podcast. First of all, I hope you're all keeping healthy and safe in these very strange circumstances, and that you're managing to go about your daily lives as best you can. As for the Unquote team, we are all well, but we're all working from home, as I'm sure you're all too. So this is effectively a remote podcast through the magic of technology. So apologies in advance if the sound quality is not as good as it usually is, and you may hear a little bit more background noise and perhaps even a child or two at uh, at random points. Uh, What we wanted to do today is give you an overview of how the market has been affected in recent weeks, starting with a general overview and early takes from players we spoke to earlier in March. But I've also drafted in two of our reporters, Alessia Argentieri and Catherine Hidalgo, for more specific updates on how P is coping with the situation in Southern Europe and the UK. So it's been quite a shock for the PE industry over the past three weeks, I think it's fair to say. Uh, the obvious comparison is with the GFC in 2008. But even that fails to do justice, really. Uh, That crisis unfolded over a period of months with a number of warning signs and very definite steps along the way, whereas the pace of disruption caused by COVID-19 is simply unprecedented. So the first order of business for us was keeping in touch with you, with the market, and try to gauge the ramifications along three main strands of PE activity, namely deal-making, portfolio work, and, of course, fundraising. So in terms of deal doing, the impact has been absolutely brutal and uh, and noticeable straight away. When we started reaching out to people in early March, so bearing in mind that was pre-lockdown measures in the UK and in other major cities in Europe, the complications when it came to doing due diligence and actually managing processes were already being felt with uh, notably with the travel bans. That's now considerably worse, given that entire segments of the economy have ground to a halt uh, and financing has dried out to a large extent. Our sister publication, Merge Market, has been doing a great job covering all the processes that have been affected. So I definitely recommend you keep an eye, uh, an eye on that as well to keep up to date. There have been some very notable casualties when it comes to deal uh, deals potentially involving PE, either on the, on the buy side or the sell side. In the travel sector, one of the early casualties was, of course, Titan Travel, um, with Saga putting the sale of its leisure trips business on hold in early March. Um, meanwhile, in Germany, DNB Audio Technik as well, which is in the portfolio of Ardian, um, was another casualty. Um, the complete lack of entertainment and, and business events worldwide uh, meant that the auction is, has not been officially withdrawn, but lengthy delays are, are now expected. Uh, and private equity actually was uh, reportedly in the final round for that with the likes of uh, Onex Partners, Providence and BC as well. But even for what should be relatively sheltered businesses, uh, uncertainty is just wrecking absolute havoc on, on large processes. We saw that with Capvest uh, shelving the sale of Curium uh, earlier this month due to the extreme volatility and, and uncertainty in, in the global financial markets. 
the bids came in at around 2.6, 2.7 billion, uh, reportedly when the vendor was expecting uh, something more in line with 3 billion. And now we've seen reports of EQT as well, apparently choosing to delay the sale of IFS, uh, which came with a sort of 3 billion price tag as well, rather than taking a lower bid. Also, it is now becoming clear that one of the main hurdles for P on the buy side, especially in the smaller segments, uh, is going to be portfolio management, especially for smaller firms. Fund managers, as they absolutely should, uh, will simply be too busy making sure their portfolios are shielded as much as possible, provide guidance to their management teams, uh, and potentially even putting out fires in a lot of cases when it comes to cash flow issues and debt servicing they simply won't have the bandwidth to look at the handful of deals that might actually be coming to market. As for fundraising, it might actually take a little longer to see where the chips may fall. Uh, Much like the deal side, we're still seeing some processes crossing the finish line or reaching final close, uh, like Gilda Healthcare, for instance, in in the past couple of days, uh, and also a couple of smaller funds uh, holding first closes in recent days. But it is clear that LPs have grown increasingly cautious as March progressed, uh, very understandably. So we went from a situation, again, we were talking to players in early March, where the main issue was navigating travel bans to meet investors uh, to a place where LPs are now really looking at their portfolios and waiting to see how things might shake up for the rest of the year. The placement agent, Sebel Capital, actually put out a a very interesting report yesterday where they estimate that as much as 80% of LPs are postponing investment decisions or putting new commitment allocations on hold until they have greater clarity. The response to that is that the market is currently bifurcating very sharply between funds that are within reach of their targets and therefore accelerating in order to cross the finish line before the situation potentially gets even worse. And those that are still somewhere of their goals, uh, the latter increasingly choosing to postpone closings until the end of the summer at least. But the problem there too is that LPs will most likely be dealing with a huge backlog of due diligence and will be incredibly time constrained. So less prominent or, or differentiated funds may go to the bottom of the pile. And that's uh, that's particularly uh, sensitive for debut funds. Um, We are currently looking at that. Catherine Hidalgo is currently looking at that for us. uh, So we should have some updates on that soon. To give you a bit of perspective, we currently have more than 230 European vehicles in fundraising mode on Encore Data. And that's an aggregate target in excess of 128 billion euros. Those that have just hit the trail would be significantly impacted as well. Uh, We recorded 35 European funds launching in the past three months uh, with a collective target of slightly more than 30 billion. In addition, a further 92 funds are currently known to be coming to market in the near future. So all in all, it's now very clear that matching the level of activity that we saw last year across both dealmaking and fundraising uh, is extremely unlikely uh, for 2020. We're also starting to see GPs positioning themselves and their portfolios to hit the ground running when the situation improves a bit, notably in healthcare and the technology spaces. We're going to hear more about that later with Alessia and Kat. So let's take a little break now and then we'll welcome Alessia to see how P has been coping in Southern Europe, which is, of course, uh, one of the worst hit areas in the world. We'll be right back.
And we're back. And I have the pleasure to be joined by our senior reporter, Alessia Argentieri, who obviously has been very busy keeping, keeping track of the situation in southern Europe. Very badly affected, uh, first Italy and now, of course, Iberia as well, mostly Spain. Um, Alessia, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what, um, how private equity has been coping in Italy and, and Spain as well? Hi, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, Southern Europe has been uh, badly hit by the crisis. Uh, the two main markets in the region, uh, which are Italy and Spain, are the most affected countries in the world for a number of deaths. Mm. Uh, they collectively have reached almost 200,000 infections uh, and nearly 20,000 deaths. So, and severe repercussions of the crisis are already visible in both the Italian and the Iberian private equity markets, uh, which have almost completely stalled from the end of February. Many local GPs and advisors have told us that supply chain and demand are paralyzed across the region and deal making is extremely challenging. Travel restrictions, shutdowns, office closures, all of these are, uh, are making very difficult to run the necessary due diligence and almost impossible to hold uh, meetings, uh, at least in-person meetings, which are often crucial to uh, seal a deal in this industry. Mm. Some private equity firms are putting in place emergency plans uh, to redeploy resources originally raised for origination or expansions and guarantee their portfolio company have the resources that they will need in the aftermath of the crisis uh, and help them through the forecast recession on the horizon. Uh, it's also true, though, that the level of damage and the economic impact of the crisis will differ across sectors, with certain industries more resilient uh, than others, such as uh, healthcare, pharma, biotech. And Italy, for example, has a strong pharmaceutical and diagnostic industry, and the emergency can become an opportunity for companies involved, for example, in the development of blood tests for COVID-19 detection, or in the discovery of vaccines. There are other sectors, uh, crucial sectors of the Italian and Iberian economies uh, that have been hit very hard by the crisis, especially those industries which um, industry that rely a lot on traveling, global supply chain, such as tourism, retail, transportation, also manufacturing. And these sectors are now at a high risk of collapsing. Mm. There's been some um, really interesting developments, though, in, in recent days that you've been covering around how what the sort of the landscape might look like once the the crisis um, is a little bit more advanced, uh, including a couple of uh, interesting fund announcements. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, in terms of uh, public funds, uh, mm, there have there have been some initiative that the state, uh, both the Italian and the Spanish state, have tried to. Uh, to support and um, and to launch to help the local uh, economies. Uh, in Italy, for example, the government has pledged to spend 25 billion to reduce the economic impact of the outbreak. And in addition to this, the local private equity body asked the government to increase the resources of the state-backed uh, fund Fondo Nazionale per l'Innovazione, which is expected to raise around 1 billion. They would like the fund to increase um, uh, its target uh, even more, uh, especially to support venture capital funds and the Italian startup ecosystem, which is at high risk at the moment. And also they ask for uh, state funding to finance a new technology transfer fund, similar to the uh, ITA tech platform current in, currently in place. 
In Spain, same thing, in addition to the funds uh, promised by the central government for the emergency, there are local councils that have launched their uh, vehicles to support uh, local companies uh, hit by the outbreak uh, and finance their recovery in the aftermath of the crisis. One such example is the Generalitat Valenciana, which has launched a 200 million private equity fund to support local mm -hmm. companies mm -hmm. and will select a private equity firm in the coming months to manage uh, these new vehicles. Okay. Um, so that's potentially a little bit of, a, of upside there uh, later and some much needed help for, for the economy, whether or not the, these companies are backed by private equity. Um, so you, you've mentioned obviously very tough uh, situation in when it comes to deal making. I would I would imagine in terms of fundraising as well. Um, never mind uh, again the obstacles to uh, to meeting people and, and making decisions. It's more the sort of the enforcing circumstances and the eventual impact of the crisis. Um, has, there, has there been a little bit of activity? Uh, what, what is currently coming through in, in the pipeline? Uh, well, my source told me that uh, many imminent deals, uh, both on the buy and sell side, uh, have been put on hold for now uh, because of the uncertainty in the region and also the restrictions uh, that uh, make it difficult to run the due diligence. Um, so disruption is likely to cause delays and possible price reductions for deals, especially uh, where only a letter of intent has been signed. Okay. And also for new deals that were going to come to the market, new auctions, uh, which have now been put on hold until the financial results for uh, quarter one 2020 are available. And that will be very important to uh, have an idea of the damage of the outbreak on the local economy. Uh, looking at the deals that are likely to be delayed but are still going through, there is, for example, the sale of Green Arrow Capital-backed Farmall, uh, which is a near-sold producer valued at around $100 million, and that should keep going despite the inevitable delay that has been caused. Uh, also, the sale of ASCO, an industrial machinery manufacturer backed by One Equity Partners, uh, is expected to go through despite a delay, but the auction will probably be launched only at the end of the year. Uh, Cicer, an Italian producer of ceramic colors, uh, is also looking for a majority shareholder and might end up in the private equity radar by the end of the year. And another one is serial producer La Sanfermese, which is in exclusive talks uh, with uh, private equity firm Orange Capital. So this deal uh, might also continue to proceed. Mm. In Iberia as well, a postponement of sale processes and delays are expected for various transactions, uh, which are still moving forward such as the sale of Bridgepoint-backed Portuguese agrochemical business Rovenza, which is worth around $1 billion. And in addition to this, the outbreak is also likely to have a major impact on fundraising activity as well, which might struggle to maintain the fast pace of 2019, when, for example, Italian buyout and generalist funds raised uh, €6.8 billion. Euros. Uh, according to our market sources, LPs are becoming more and more anxious and reluctant in allowing overexposure to the region, and coronavirus fears are expected to slow down fundraising during at least the next six months. Um, so there are uh, several Italian and Spanish funds which uh, will have to slow down or put on all their fundraising. For example, in Italy, um, Green Arrow Capital Fund 4 which was expecting to start fundraising in the first quarter of the year, will be delayed. Uh, Quadrivio's funds, both Industry 4.0, a 200 million fund, which had the first close in 2018, and the Made in, in Italy fund, uh, which held an interim close in December 2019, are likely to be delayed in their final closing. 
Uh, Mandarin Capital Third, same thing, uh, is was expected to hold the final close imminently, but it will be delayed, very likely. Uh, Axia Capital Fifth is another uh, fund launched uh, um, and uh, hit the first close in uh, July 2019 and was close to its final closing, but will be delayed. Their capital Tesso Vitali Second, which has a target of 250 million and the 300 million hard cap. Its first close was expected uh, by June 2020, but is now likely to be delayed. Uh, the situation is very similar in Spain as well. The Spanish funds market is experiencing exactly the same uh, critical situation with several Spanish funds uh, that were launched last year and uh, were expecting to wrap up their fundraising at the beginning of 2020, but they are now going to slow down and postpone their closings. And in Spain, I think, among others, of uh, MCH Iberian Capital Fifth, which was launched in 2019 with a 400 million target, and was expecting to reach a first close by June 2020 and might have to delay its timeline. Uh, Magnum Capital Third uh, had to postpone its first close, which was expected in quarter one 2020. Another example is uh, Jed Capital Six, which held the 100 million first close in March 2019, was expected to hold the final close this semester, but we'll have to delay probably. Um, Summa Capital Growth Second, same thing. We'll probably see its fundraising slowing down consistently. And Abba Capital Second Fund, which was launched at the beginning of 2020 with a 350 million target, um, will see its fundraising affected and uh, will have to postpone its first close. Same for Portobello Structural Partnership First, which is the, the last one I'm going to uh, mention, which is a minority-focused fund launched in January 2020 with a 300 million hard cap and was planning to hold the first close in quarter one 2020 and we'll have to postpone its timeline. Yeah, obviously anything anything that's been launched in the in the past couple of months, uh, obviously pre uh, pre crisis, is uh, is really gonna really gonna struggle to just uh, just get any airtime from from LPs as well. Um, so thank you very much for that, Alessia. Really, really interesting overview uh, from a region that's obviously been at the forefront of, of all this um, and could. Um, could be a, almost a bellwether of what could happen in other parts of Europe as well. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, we'll take a short break and then we will be back to talk to Catherine Hidalgo about the situation in the UK. And welcome back. And I now have the pleasure to be joined by Catherine Hidalgo, our reporter for focusing on the UK region. Um, Catherine, thank you very much for, for being with us today as well remotely. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about how uh, people are adapting to the situation in the UK and uh, what sort of uh, pieces of content you've been, you've been looking at in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think when when we take a first look at this, I think it's important to kind of get an idea of what's in portfolios in the UK right now. Um, just because the coronavirus is affecting uh, different companies very differently. Um, so the kind of the sectors that we would expect to be doing okay include healthcare and technology, while the, the sectors that we'd expect to suffer a bit more might be in the consumer and industrials markets. Um, so what I did was to get a kind of very rough idea of what's in portfolios. And as I said, this is a very rough guide, but um, I kind of averaged out uh, over the last five years of investment activity and um, the percentage by sector that make up total buyouts. Mm. 
Um, so from that, we can get that uh, roughly 8% of portfolio companies are in healthcare, around 13.5% are in technology. And then in consumer and, and financials and industrials on the side where we assume the portfolio companies might be suffering a bit more, um, there's 26% in consumer, 7% in financials and up to 20% in industrials. So just from that kind of very rough guide, uh, we can see that uh, portfolios in the UK are tilted heavily towards those uh, those sectors that we think might suffer a bit more. But um, obviously, that that ha there's a big caveat there because um, within all of those sectors, there are going to be companies that differ uh, by performance. Um, for example, the chief dental officer has instructed all dentists to shut down where possible. So kind of any private healthcare dent de dentistry um, chains that we have uh, in the UK that have shut down, that will be a healthcare business that isn't performing that well. Um, and in industrials, uh, those, those factories that have shifted to producing ventilators and PPE will be posting probably much better revenues than we might expect from an average industrials company in this type of, an, of environment. Um, that said as well, on, on the consumer side, businesses that have shifted to an online presence, as many PE-backed businesses are encouraged to do so by, by their private equity owners, um, they're likely to see an uptick in demand. So um, from my kind of research into the Nordic region, for example, Verdane had a few uh, a few companies such as an online pharmacy and an online mm -hmm. grocer, which as you can imagine, have seen, you know, huge uptick. Um, so it is varied within that kind of sector perspective, but um, it's just important to kind of think about how the sector impacts the different portfolios, Absolutely. which kind of dictates how the how the private equity backer um, is kind of trying to, to deal uh, with the situation. Yeah, I think the, the technology angle as well is going to be very important because um, obviously the way that we and most other um, data sources on the market will classify deals by sector tends to sometimes ignore the sort of underlying or what you'd call the secondary sector almost. Uh, a lot of the businesses in uh, in uh, consumer, for instance, even industrial, will have such a, a technology component to them, uh, as you mentioned, because they're either uh, shifted completely online or even in sort of uh, business support services it's something that is completely sort of cloud-based um, we would capture that under technology as well but mostly they will come under uh, business support services so yeah another another caveat here that's uh, that, that's interesting um, just wanted to see obviously uh, Alessia's told us about how people are trying to navigate the situation in uh, in Italy and Spain um, Italy being placed under a much more uh, strict lockdown very early on um, by their by their authorities how's it been like in the UK and uh, are people still managing to, uh, to 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 talk to talk to their management companies uh, uh, sorry the, the management team of their portfolio companies and are they still looking at deals as well or do they just not have the time or, or the bandwidth yeah, definitely. So this the sentiment that I'm getting is that there's uh, still a lot of really good communication between GPs and management teams, GPs and banks, GPs and advisors. People, by and large, it sounds like have been doing quite well working from home so far. So certainly on the portfolio management side, a lot is getting done. And from all the GPs that I've talked to, it really is all hands on deck. You know, they're they're talking to banks to talk about government funding, which I'm, um, I think we might talk about a little bit later on, but they're communicating with banks management teams to kind of secure the funding that the government has um, has put up. They're working on, uh, on assuring portfolio employee management teams 
communicating best practices, uh, kind of um, making setting up portals to ensure that um, those that the best information and the best practices are communicated with the portfolio teams. So it really is all hands on deck. The flip side to that, as you asked already, is that because all of that time is um, is dedicated to portfolios there's really not much time left for very much deal doing it's it's literally a matter of carving out the time and and i think that that's that's really the issue that we're going to see uh, when it comes to deal doing over the next few weeks they really are just focused on kind of shoring up their portfolio companies um figuring out contingency plans that that really is where the focus is lying and um it doesn't just stop at those kind of like operational things that that people are doing a lot of gps have have said to me that they are willing to put out fresh equity to, to support um, the businesses where needed as well. So that must be really reassuring for those payback businesses. Um, but obviously, they have to do that in a very uncertain context. Uh, and the scope of, of the potential damage on the economy is still being sort of assessed. At the same time, there's also a fair amount of support, especially in the UK coming through. Um, and you've been looking at that as well. Can you tell us a bit more about what's been happening uh, when it comes to uh, government support? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot has been promised um, about 350 billion in, in loans and grants have been promised to the businesses of the UK by the UK government. And as well, they've put out a package um, to pay up to 80% of wages of those for people who have been furloughed or uh, for people who um, would have been fired. Now, that's not the issue. Um, and I, I'm sure you're not surprised there is an issue with the government funding. Um, they, the, the, the GPs that I speak to generally are really happy with the theory of, mm -hmm. of the proposed package and what, what's being suggested. They think that it fits the needs of businesses. Uh, it's, it, it fits the needs of businesses to retain its skilled staff. Um, and, I, and I think that they've all been really, really pleased with that. One thing that they do think falls short, um, particularly for uh, retail businesses, are the um, lack of the kind of any kind of idea of enforced rent holidays, which okay. uh, other international markets such as uh, New York they've had, and I think GPs and retail business portfolio companies they'd be really happy to see those kinds of enforced rent holidays. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the only kind of real issue that people have pointed out when it comes to the package. Now. Yeah. Where the real issue is, is the implementation. Um, that's the much larger concern. I haven't yet heard of any reports from any GPs of portfolio companies actually receiving either a grant or a loan. Um, and they say that there's a lot of variation between how the high street banks that are the conduits for the funding are reacting. It isn't clear whether the banks are kind of looking for personal guarantees or for requirements and assurance that the company was able to, you know, repay the debt prior to the crisis or will be able to repay the debt after the crisis. It's it basically, once again, GPs in the UK are calling for more certainty. You know, it, there's yet another reason um, for, for GPs to call for more uh, certainty from the government. So that's kind of the situation. It's certainly, it's, it's, it's obviously changing uh, very rapidly. And I think the devil is definitely in the detail. Obviously, there, there, there are still deals coming through. Um, we're le certainly less busy with that sort of things uh, these days, but there are some processes that are still going ahead. Um, and same on the fundraising side as well. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about what's in, what's in the pipeline? So one big deal that we actually think will probably go through that I was certainly surprised to hear about was the ASDA deal, um, which, uh, which, a lot, which has seen a lot of... Um, 
offers for, and uh, it, I think it probably will go through. TDR Capital, Lone Star Funds, and Apollo Global Management have submitted offers, um, and it, it, we haven't heard any any kind of um, any kind of reason to to suspect that it won't actually go through, which which will be a, a major deal for the M and A market, um, and certainly for uh, for our stats next year. Um, other than that, I think it's pretty fair to say that any deals that we have been seeing over the last couple of weeks have been pretty small, pretty insignificant um, in the kind of broader scheme of most portfolios. For example, small bolt-ons that aren't supported by fresh equity from the GP, this type of thing. And, and I, I imagine most of those are probably still trickling through from when the coronavirus uh, situation kind of really hadn't come to the fore yet and um, so they're just kind of being completed now and we're just hearing about them now but they were all really done before the coronavirus really took effect um what i will say uh is that those those gps that are likely to be making deals are the ones that have very recently uh, closed a fund and are kind of raring to deploy uh, so those might include the likes of August, Activa, Vespa, um, ICG Europe Mid Market Fund. These are all funds that have kind of held their final close in 2020. Sterling Square Capital Partners um, and G Square Capital as well. They're all funds that have this money to be deployed and are just kind of waiting uh, for those businesses uh, to come up and uh, and get snapped up, I imagine. Uh, the only thing on the flip side of that, of course, is that uh, in this kind of market, if you don't have to sell, you're unlikely to. Um, so it remains to be seen what deals will kind of go through. Sure. And again, the financing as well is likely to be a big issue in any deals. Um, I, I think it would be quite interesting to see the, the proportion of all equity deals that will be coming through in the first half of those, again, relatively few deals that we'll get through and I think it'll be uh, it'll be very very high uh, on the fundraising side what's uh, what was in the pipeline and uh, what have we seen coming through in, in the past couple of weeks definitely so um, currently we've got in the UK 53 funds that have held a first close and are still raising hmm. um, and from speaking to lots of placement agents and a few funds I, I would imagine that certainly over the next three months we're not going to see any final closes from those, even the ones that we're expecting to hold closes in Q2 or uh, Q3 of this year. Um, a few of those uh, funds that we were kind of expecting to hold closes uh, include uh, MML, uh, Kester Capital, Dunedin, Esso, Palatine, North Edge. So a lot in the mid-market and, and the lower mid-market there that we, we won't uh, expect to see a kind of final close from, especially in the short term. Uh, funds that were on our radar prior to the coronavirus situation setting in, um, simply because they'd held a final close for their most recent vehicle in 2016 or maybe early 2017. And, you know, uh, we would expect to be thinking certainly about raising their next fund, include Alita, CBPE, they've been making a lot of exits recently and um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were thinking about raising a fund very soon. Limiston, Lonsdale, Phoenix Equity Partners, Tenzing, these are all funds that we definitely were expecting to see get on the road very soon. Um, but again, speaking to placement agents, it doesn't, it's not the right market to kind of be launching and definitely their not. advice is, is if you haven't launched, certainly don't do it now. Um, so, yeah, I'd be shocked to see kind of any major news announcements from the likes of those firms anytime yeah. soon. 
And it'll be interesting to see who actually goes first um, once um, the situation gets back to a little bit more normality. Uh, because obviously, that and that's um, the, the flip side compared to, to, to deals. I think fundraising, given the, the timescales involved, both in terms of uh, actually getting the fundraising done, but also the horizon under which is going to be ultimately deployed, um, there, could, there could be a little uh, kind of first mover advantage there. Although bearing in mind again, the uh, the, the backlog of uh, LP work will most likely be quite significant uh, once the uh, once the summer's over. So yeah, one to, one to watch. Um, thank you very much. I think that's uh, pretty much all the time we have for today, uh, Kat. But thank you very much for for joining in and and giving us your take there. Uh, and I know you're working on the, a couple more pieces as well, uh, notably around, uh, I think, first-time funds. Uh, that will be uh, very interesting to uh, to get your take on in the next episode of, of, the pod, of the pod. So thank you very much for that, Kat. Uh, and I think it's now time to uh, to wrap this up. Um, we thank you very much for, for listening, uh, for tuning in to listen this week. Um, we have, as I said, have a lot in the pipeline as well ourselves. Uh, obviously, busy times when it comes to uh, looking at how the, the private equity industry is adapting. We'll have pieces coming on on uh, the impact on recruitment. Uh, we'll be looking at a few more sort of portfolio mapping exercises and, uh, and trying to see uh, of, of the sectors that are affected, what is currently in portfolios and in what sort of concentration, uh, how GP is working with their management teams, of course, and, uh, and fundraising updates along the way. At the same time, uh, we do realise that uh, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the horizon for the next five years or so. There will be some more uh, longer-term trends that we still want to keep an eye on when it comes to uh, when it comes to investment and fundraising, uh, and we'll try and bring you some uh, some interesting takes there as well. Uh, as for the podcast, uh, our next episode is quite likely to be on secondaries because, as you can imagine, uh, it's very interesting times there as well. And our associate editor, Denise Kojinovizi, has been looking at that a fair bit recently. has been taking some really interesting uh interesting insight from market players and advisors so we will be back with that hopefully shortly but in the meantime thank you very much for listening and do take care 